many of you have Facebook? How many of you are on Facebook? So, oh yeah. All right, so here's the thing about Facebook. Like when I, when I first started using Facebook, I had this assumption about the way people worked. And what I'm discovering is people just feel compelled for some reason to put the weirdest things on my personal wall. Like it's not their Facebook wall, it's mine. But they still feel like they need to put certain things on my wall. And um, so anyways, I thought tonight would be a chance to maybe just get a little, like, here's a great example of the drivel that people like to put on my Facebook wall. This is a, this is a picture that someone was out in the community and found this. This is a, a, a coffee mug. Actually, Pam appreciated this, uh, who just really felt like, yeah, Pastor Bob needs this on his, on his wall. So there's like some, I don't know what I did to cats, but there's, here's, a, here's one that got posted a little while ago. Okay? And then let me read that for you because you, you probably can't read it. This is what it says. It says, Dear Pastor Bob, I'm going out of town and would love for you to cat sit my dear Felix. I'm hoping you can teach him about grace because you'll learn quickly he is a sinner. I don't know. And then, okay, but sometimes there's stuff about cats I like. Like, the next one's kind of scientific. If, you're in, if you've been following the Mars rover, Curiosity, this is one that got put on recently. <laughs> that's a good one. Oh, come on, that's a great one. And then, almost as good... Here's one that, here's one that someone found. This is, they took a picture of a bumper sticker on a car. Um, this is a little while ago and put this on my, um, Facebook, which I thought was great. So, um, and then there's, and then there's this t-shirt that somebody put on, which I really want. This is dad, dad's against daughter's dating. You see that? Shoot the first one and the word will spread, <laughs> which is good. Uh, and then sometimes people are just looking out for me. Like I know Lisa was out. I think this was back in the spring. And apparently she was at JCPenney's and she noticed they had a 70% off sweater vest sale going on. So she like quickly told me that was like actually helpful. Um, this next one, why someone put this on my wall? I don't know. I'm guessing it was a woman. Um, maybe you've seen that. <laughs> Now, I'm going to share one more with you. This is the one I got recently put in my wall. And if you've ever, it, for those of you who have uh, email, you, you'll know, and they do this on Facebook too. You ever get those copy and paste or like the world will come to an end tomorrow kind of? So here's one that got put on recently. I'll just read it in case you can't see it. Please copy and paste this to your status if you're constantly being asked to copy and paste things to your status by friends who copy and paste things to their status. Many people won't copy and paste this, but my truly sarcastic friends will copy and paste it because they know this was copied and pasted from a dear friend in need of more stuff to copy and paste. If you don't copy and paste it, then this means you hate kittens and puppies and bacon. And if you hate bacon, then the terrorists win. So I just, yeah, that's pretty good. Anyways, so the things we put on Facebook walls, but here's, so here's the deal. Um, when we think about sh- the things that we share sometimes through Facebook and through email and, and just through conversations over coffee and stuff, we are reminded as Christians that, that God has given us something to share. He's given us a message to share unapologetically with the world around us. And we don't get to decide what the message is. Um, Jesus gave that to us. And we often refer to it as the great com- commission. And uh, in fact, in your notes tonight, I've, I've given you one passage in Mark. 
You may know that there's really five different accounts of the Great Commission in Scripture, one in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and one in Acts. But the one in Mark 15, uh, 16, 15 says this. Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to go into the world. He's speaking to all Christ's followers. Go into the world. So I want you to go, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to proclaim the, proclaim the what? I want you to proclaim the gospel to everyone. And some of your translations might say to proclaim the gospel to everyone, everywhere. And I kind of think of this as not just a commission that Jesus gave us, but I think of it as a collective commission. And here's what I mean by collective. There's a few things that we know when we read this. First of all, Jesus didn't expect this to be fulfilled by one person. He wasn't looking at Peter and going, now I want, this is what I want you to do. He wasn't even looking at the 12 saying, you guys are going to be the ones who do this. Um, he didn't expect it to be accomplished in a day or a month or a year. He didn't even expect it to be fulfilled in a generation. In fact, we know that none of us can fulfill this on our own. But all of us who are Christ followers do have a part. Because everyone who puts their faith in Christ uh, becomes a co-member of the co-mission, if you will. And so that includes every single one of us. And now, here's part of the challenge. When, when you ask most Christians... How did you come to Christ? Like, what, what vehicle did God primarily use to reach you? And by vehicle, I don't mean like a VW. I mean, like, what person did he use? Or, or what means did he use to draw you to the gospel? What most people will tell you is you, you rarely hear this. Well, one day I was just driving down the street and I, I wandered into a church and I didn't know anybody and no one invited me. And I just walked in and sat in the back and the pastor preached a sermon. He started talking about Facebook and it was so funny and I just gave my life to Christ. And like, you rarely, rarely hear stories like that. What you usually hear is stories like this. There was a person in my life, it was a relative, it was my mom or dad, it was a friend, it was a neighbor, and um, they were a Christian. And they, were, they would share Christ with me, and they would just love me, and they were patient. And one day, after a while, one day I decided to give my life to Christ. But God primarily used that person to draw me to himself. And every time I hear a story like that, it always reminds me that it really fits what we see in the New Testament. Kind of the New Testament model for the way most people came to Christ was that God would, would change someone's life. Maybe we'd see this again and again in the Gospels. Jesus would reach out to somebody and they would, they would place their faith in him. And then once they placed their faith in him, they became somebody who began to become a world changer and would share that message with the people who were closest to them. And you can look in the Gospels, you see a story about a guy named, named Zacchaeus who Jesus reached out to and then he immediately reached out to the people around him to share Christ. Or, or a royal official who had a dying son who Jesus reached out to. Or a tax collector named Levi who as soon as he came to know Christ, he invited all of his friends to his house to meet Jesus as well. Or it could have been a guy named Cornelius or a prison guard in, in Philippi. But each one of these people, once they received the message of the gospel and embraced that for themselves, they immediately began to take it to the people who they were closest to. There's a story in the book of Mark about a guy who was uh, demon-possessed. And in fact, this guy had been demon-possessed for quite a while. He lived in a, in a graveyard, didn't wear any clothes. He was uncontrollable. And one day he has this encounter with, with, with Jesus Christ. And, and through that encounter, um, the demons are driven out. The man is in his right mind. He becomes a follower of Christ. And the story ends this way. It says that Jesus was getting into a boat. So he's going to leave. This guy's got his life right. has a relationship with God now. The demons are gone. Jesus gets in the boat. And the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Which, of course, only makes sense. That's what you or I would have done as well. 
But Jesus did not let him. Instead, he said, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And uh, if you've been around here for a while, you know where I'm going next with this. You might underline that word home. And that word home, Jesus says, I want you to go home. And that, that word in the Greek is the word oikos. Say that with me. Oikos. Okay, so you know a Greek word now. So it's the word oikos. It means home. In fact, actually, when we think of the word home, we usually think of like a, a physical structure with a roof. And if I said, who lives in your household? You would probably say, you know, like with me, well, I've got a wife and three kids and a, a cat. Um, and you might be willing to admit that, but that's not the way back then. If you had asked a Greek, um, who lives in your, who's in your household? They didn't just think physical location. They thought relational. So they, when they said household, they would think of the people that they were very close to, people they loved and cared about. So they might say, well, I got a few kids in my house and I got a wife and a, you know, I got a goat and um, we've got a neighbor who's very close to us so we consider them part of our household and, and uh, we've got some relatives who live nearby and they're part of our household. They thought relationally and that's what the word oikos means. It, it's the idea of, a, of an extended household in fact, what research says is that the average American today has anywhere from 8 to 15 people with whom each one of us kind of live life most closely. They're, they're loving, influential relationships. And that 8 to 15 is what a Greek back then in Jesus' day would say, that's your oikos. So your oikos is typically made up of anywhere from 8 to 15 people with whom you have loving, influential relationships. So it may include some of the people that live under your roof. But maybe not. It might include a neighbor or two. It might include some relatives that live nearby. It might include somebody you work with, somebody you're on a team with, somebody you go to school with. But these are people that you most, do most of your life with. You know them. They know you. You love them. They love you. And it's really, when you think about it, the most natural environment for sharing Christ with other people. And your oikos is going to be made up of kind of two different groups of people. There'll be those who are believers and chances are every one of you, I hope, have people in your oikos who are Christ followers. And so your focus with a Christ follower is to be an encouragement to them and to support them spiritually. But chances are you have some unbelievers in your oikos as well. And your job there is to, to focus on sharing Christ with them. Now, of course, part of the challenge for us is that studies say only about 10% of Christians um, are comfortable sharing their faith with other people. But the great thing about oikos is, with oikos, it doesn't matter how brilliant you are or how good looking you are or, or think you are or intelligent or wealthy or how old you are, any of that stuff. Because these are eight to 15 people who know you and love you and care about you. And they are people that God has strategically placed in your life. He has put them in your life or you could say he's put you, know, you in their life because he wants to reach them through you, through that oikos relationship. And the great thing about the oikos paradigm in the church is that it already exists. It's already here. The only question is, will a church support its people in reaching their oikos? And one of the things at Gateway is that we're very, very dedicated to supporting every one of you when it comes to reaching your oikos for Christ. And just in case you've never quite put this together, I want to just outline for you tonight the three ways or the three strategies as a church that we have for supporting you in doing this. And hopefully in, in, in telling you this tonight, it will give you a little more confidence in what we're doing here and, and why we do it. So we say it this way. We want to help people know, grow, and what's the last one? 
We want to help people know, grow, and show because those tie in to the oikos. So the first one is this. We want everyone who comes to our church to know Jesus. So we proclaim the gospel. In fact, we, pro- we, we boldly proclaim Jesus unapologetically around here. In Acts 4.12, it kind of tells us why. So salvation is found in no one else, speaking of Jesus. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So what it's telling us here is, it says people, what people don't need in a church is, they don't need uh, a vague spirituality. And you hear a lot of that today. Like we, you know, we just, we, we preach God. We preach the Father. But a lot of churches today don't really specifically just preach Jesus. But we preach Jesus as the way to the Father. So we don't, we don't preach a, a vague spirituality here uh, or just faith and faith or, or you know, faith and love. We preach a trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's the only way that we can be connected to the Father. We don't preach a self-help gospel here where, you know, God helps those who help themselves kind of thing. We believe God helps those who realize they cannot help themselves. They're completely helpless to get right with God, and they totally trust in Jesus. We don't teach a a man-made religious system to getting right with God here, even though people tend to gravitate towards that. We don't teach rules and rituals and religion or boxes to check off, and if you check off enough, then you'll be right with God. Instead, what people need is the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says this, He's speaking to the church and he says, now when I came to you, and he's talking about his ministry with this church. When I came to you, brothers, I I did not come with with eloquence or superior wisdom. Paul says, I didn't come to your church and and win you over with like, you know, what a great speaker I was or with how how intelligent I was or my ability to debate um, with different philosophers. Instead, he says this, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know Notice this, nothing while I was with you. The only thing he resolved to know was Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he says, when I came to you, the only thing I really talked to you about was Jesus Christ. I talked to you about the gospel of Christ. What does that mean? How do we, how do we make Jesus and the gospel known to the people around us? Well, I think we do it in several ways. We declare who he is. So for instance, one of the things Paul did again and again and again is he would talk about who Jesus is. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus was born of a virgin. Sounds crazy. I know it sounds fantastical, Paul says, but it's absolutely the truth. It's part of the gospel. He was God. He was perfection. He was, he claimed to be equal with God and he was, he's eternal. He didn't have the beginning of life when he was born here. He had, He's always existed and he always will exist. In fact, he's the creator of the world that we live in. He was sinless. He claimed to be the way to God, the only way to the Father, which in fact he is. He claimed to be the truth. He claimed to be the life. So when we make the gospel known, we talk about who Jesus is, but we also talk about what he did for us. So Jesus took our sin upon himself and he went to a cross where he, as the sinless sacrifice, bore our sin, died for our sin, was buried, was resurrected. And everyone who places their faith in Christ and the completed work of Christ on the cross has access to the righteousness of God. So it's not by works, it's by the grace of God that he's given us through Jesus. So we make the gospel known by talking about who Jesus is and what he did for us. And then what do we do with that? What we do with that, and we talked about that in the whole last series, was we trust him. We trust that there's nothing we can add to the work of Christ. All we can do is accept what he did for us and embrace that, the gift of Christ. Now, 
To say that we preach Jesus, that we proclaim the gospel here, uh, doesn't mean we don't teach passages that aren't about Jesus or doesn't mean we don't preach the Old Testament. Instead, what we show is that every single thing in the Bible, in fact, relates to Jesus. Everything in the scriptures connects with him. And, and we also teach the fact that, that in Christ, right, everything in our life relates to him. Not just coming to church on Sunday, uh, Saturday night at six o'clock for an hour and 15 or two hours or however long this takes, right? Uh, it's not just this. It's every part of our life that there's a connection between Christ and our relationships and Christ and our, our issues, our sin, uh, our education, our job, our exercising, eating, whatever we do. There's a way that Christ intersects with all of that. And so that's what we talk about. We proclaim the gospel of Christ and how Christ relates to every part of our life. So at Gateway, here's what we do. We preach Jesus every single weekend. We preach the gospel every weekend. And sometimes I do have people say, don't you know anything else? Don't you talk about anything else? And I'm usually like, no, it's all I know. All I know is the gospel of Christ. All I know is how to connect him to every single thing that we talk about. And here's why it's so important with your oikos. Because that means that every time you come to church on the weekend... Our job, my job, is to teach you the word of God, to build up your faith. I want to build your confidence that Jesus is everything that he said he is. So that when you walk out of these doors, you are fully confident that the thing that the people in your oikos need is Jesus Christ. And that in fact, he really is the answer for their problems and their issues. I want you to have confidence in that. I want you to know Christ to that level. But the other reason we preach Jesus every weekend is because on some particular weekend, if someone from your oikos happens to wander into this church by accident or because you brought them here or whatever, or maybe it's Christmas Eve or Easter, I want you to absolutely be guaranteed that they will not leave this building without hearing the gospel and hearing about Christ. This is his church. He died for this church. It belongs to him and we proclaim Jesus Christ. So the first way that we support you in your oikos efforts is we preach Jesus. And uh, I've asked Matthias if he would come up and um, just walk us through the second way that we support you. Sweet. So when we talk about growing together, what we're really talking about there is that we would live out the gospel together with one another, that, that as believers, we would love one another as, as Christ has loved us. And, and, and this, is a, this is a big thing that God does in our lives, is that he, he, he transforms us so that we can do this. That, that if we really think about um, sin and, and what sin has, has done to us, uh, one of the big effects of sin is it hurts relationship, doesn't it? And, and so the reason we often want to lie or, or feel shame or um, hurt one another or, or just we walk into situations just purely thinking of ourselves and what we're going to get out of it, uh, a, a big reason um, why this is happening is in our lives is the effect of sin. It, it drives wedges between us and the people around us. It drives wedges between us and God. There's a separation, but it, but, but it hurts relationship. And so um, the gospel is about that through Jesus. Jesus, we can be right with God, that he saved us um, from our sin there, but it's also that he saved us into something, that he saved us to be a people. And this is what, what, what scripture is saying all the time, that we're, we're saved into a community of believers, where, where, we, 
where we can love one another and, and, and do life together. And, and this is a beautiful thing. And this is a thing that Jesus was really um, moving people towards. That he was um, speaking a lot of this. And so uh, the night before Jesus goes to the cross... Um, he, he spends some time with his uh, closest followers, his disciples, and so they eat a meal together. And at the start of that meal, he, he gets down and he, he, he washes their feet and he serves them in this way. And then during this meal, um, he had a discussion with them and he said something very direct to them. He said, this is a new command I give to you. This is, this is what I, I want you to keep in mind. Love one another as I have loved you. So must you love one another. This was his message. Just, just look at me and, and think about what I've done. And so, so Jesus had, had done a ton already for these guys. But if you think about it, in the next 24 hours, um, Jesus was going to suffer immensely on the cross for their good. For them. And so Jesus says, as, as I have loved you, this is how I want you to love one another. Um, this is the message. This is the hope. This is where I'm moving you to. And, and, and then what he says next is huge for our oikos. Because Jesus goes on to say, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, there's a byproduct um, to, to us getting along. To, to Jesus saving us, freeing us, giving us the, the, the security so that we can um, enter into healthy relationship with one another as Jesus would want to. That there's a, that there's a byproduct of this gospel that, that people around us would recognize Jesus. Wow, that he's real and that he, he works. And um, this is huge as we proclaim the gospel because as we proclaim the gospel, a lot of people, they, they just want to know if this is for real. I mean, does God really forgive? Does, you know, like all this security and, and, and freedom to, to be unselfish and these kinds of things, like does that really happen for people? And, 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 and so when they see us, when they see an example, this often moves people to a response. I mean, this is, this is the whole basis behind the infomercial industry, right? Um, that, that you need to see something in, in, in reality. And so if you're going to sell exercise equipment, right, you, you first you get your 30-minute spot on TV, and uh, then you get, you know, your equipment and you get a really big dude and he's exercising on this. And, 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 and yet then, then what they do is they also, they, they find just an average guy. So he's got to have a big gut, you know, kind of, they have that picture, they show him before, right? And then, um, and, and then they, you know, kind of show the after picture and he's all chiseled and then they interview him and he says, well, yeah, I work, you know, three days a week, 20 minutes on this machine. Like this is what happens. And, um, and, and, and so in TV, these things are staged, right? I mean, we don't know for sure if this is reality. Um, in relationship, we can't stage that, I mean, we can maybe kind of stage it in here in a setting like this. We can, you know, smile, shake hands. It's short. Most of the time, somebody's talking at you. Um, but, but real life, throughout your week, you, you cannot stage healthy relationship. You either have it or you don't, right? And, and the thing with our oikos is our oikos sees that. Because they do life with us too. I mean, this is, this is your oikos. They're, they're, they're with you. They're around you. They're seeing all of this. And so they know um, if, if, if loving one another is real or not in you. And if it's real, Jesus is saying they're going to recognize me. People are going to, to notice that, 
that I'm for real and, and that you're following me. And so these men, they, they really took this seriously. And so if you know kind of the history of, of what happens, Jesus goes to the cross, dies, and he rises again. And, um, and, and then a couple months later, there, there's many people coming to know Jesus. And there's this section in Acts that records how these people were relating. It's beautiful. He says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. And, and selling their possessions and goods, they, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, th- this is just a beautiful picture. And, and we share it a lot. I mean, I share this with my leaders, with students. A couple times a year we talk about this passage. And one of the reasons why we do is because this, this is what I want to be a part of. Like a relationship like this, sharing um, with anybody who had need. No, nobody had need because of this group. And, and they were sincere. There was no faking. There was no pretending. Um, they genuinely liked one another. And again, the, the, the byproduct of this is that um, daily, often, regularly, people were, were coming into this group. They were meeting Jesus, being saved, and, and entering into this community. This is the problem when we love one another, is people just want to be a part of that. And, and so if we're Christians, and we have a, a group of people that we love, and there's a thought in our, our minds that says, you know, like, I would just love it. The next 30 years of my life, me and these friends, we just do life together. We love one another, hang out. It's going to be beautiful. Um, this is great, but if we do that well, the problem is, is that people are going to want to be a part of that. They're, they're just going to be around that. Like, like They want that. They see it for real. The hope of the gospel that we can be right with God and right with one another through Jesus. And this, is a, this is a beautiful thing that happens when we love one another. So, so let's talk about grow groups just real quick. Um, grow groups at Gateway. Uh, Gateway is larger and so when we talk about growing together, we can, we can scratch the surface here on the weekends. Um, but when we really talk about the things that were happening like in the book of Acts and living life together, this, this goes beyond this, what happens here on the weekend. And, and we just can't do it in this large of a group. And so we have grow groups. And, and, and the hope there is it's a group of people that just does life together like Jesus has saved us too. And so a lot of times when we talk about grow groups, we talk about how you need them. And so last weekend with the high school students, I, I just told them, I said, there's going to be time probably this year where you're going to need to confess some sin or, um, you know, you're going to need encouragement or somebody to listen to you. And, and we just talked about how those relationships, when you need them, they don't just pop up out of the blue. Um, that you build them now. You just invest and you, you, you work at it. And so as you need them, they're there. And so we do need to be a part of a grow group for us. Um, but our oikos needs us to be a part of a group too. Again, they, they need to see the reality of Jesus played out in your lives with one another. And, and maybe even be included in that group of people invited into this. Like, like, think about this. There's so many people that, that are kind of skeptical of going to church. Maybe, maybe they've had bad experiences or maybe they grew up in the church and walked away from that or, or, or whatever. There, there's so many people that are skeptical about going to church. What I find is most of them love to come to your house for dinner. 
or to watch a, a, a sports game together or, uh, you know, to do some of these things. And, and when we do them with our oikos and our, our grow group, like amazing things happen. They, they start to get to know um, people in our lives. And, and think about this, like, like if that's happening before somebody ever goes to church here, what happens when they decide to show in um, to Gateway on a weekend? I mean, they walk in here to, to hear where we're proclaiming the gospel, and they walk in here, and they already know some people. This is really nice. Especially if you're new to Gateway, and you walk in, you know it's sometimes hard to meet people. They already know people. And imagine if they, if they meet Jesus, and they get saved, and, and, and think, to, think about this. Like, like one of the, the hardest things we have for so many people here at Gateway is to move them into a grow group. It's awkward. It's hard. You, you have to sign up on a list and, and, and maybe try some and find the right group. And, and if they've already spent time with your group outside and they come to know Jesus, then guess what? They also already have a grow group. They already have people they know. This is one huge step in a believer's life that's already been accomplished because you invited them in. And so, um, so we, we grow together. We live out the gospel um, because our oikos needs this too. And the last one Bob's going to talk about is no. Actually show. Or show. You know. Yeah, that's right. So three ways we want to help you through, through knowing Christ. And through showing, uh, which we're going to talk about, and as Matthias has talked about, growing together. So we want to talk for just a minute about showing. That is that we demonstrate the gospel. We demonstrate the love of God. And this is something we we talk about a lot. But in Matthew 5, um, notice what it says here. Jesus is speaking, and he says, speaking of believers, he says, you are the light of the world. And then he gives a little picture of what it's like to be light in the world, to be light in your neighborhood and, and light at work and to be light at school. That may be a dark place. It's just like a city set on a hill, which cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Now, in the same way, let your light shine. Notice that? Let your light shine before other people. Don't hide your light, right? Don't try to cover up your light. Don't be shy about your light, all right? Let your light shine before the people so that they will see your good works. That is your, your good life and, and your good actions, literally. And, and they'll give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He says a couple of things there. He says, let your light shine. You might underline that phrase. Let it shine. And when he talks about letting the light shine, what he's talking about is Jesus is the light. He is the light of the world. He is the light that came into the world. And when you give your life, when you place your faith in Christ, that light now exists inside of you. So he's just saying, you don't have to make up the light. You don't have to ratchet up the light. Just don't hide the light. That's all he's saying. You already have the light inside of you. Why would you cover it up? Let it shine to the world around you. And then he says, so that people will see your good works or, or your good life. And now that's about following Jesus. He's saying, as you follow Jesus, as you follow his will, that this light will come out of you. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. So we think about this. How did the Father send Jesus? Well, he sent Jesus to proclaim, which he sent us to do. He sent Jesus to, to seek out the lost, 
which he's, he's called us to do, including, including people in our oikos who are lost. He sent Jesus to meet the need, practical needs of people. He, he fed people. He had compassion on people. He, he uh, healed people. He hung out with sinners that other people wouldn't hang out with. Jesus literally came alongside people and put his arms around them and he met their practical needs. He, he didn't just tell people that God loved them. He showed them that God loves them. And the Bible says that God has given every one of us some resources that we can use to share his love with other people. And so every one of us have a certain amount of time that we can invest. We don't all have the same amount of time. Some of us have more time than others, but we all have some time, a certain amount of time that we can invest in in seeking the people around us who don't know Christ. All of us have some ability that we can use. We're all different. We have different abilities, but we can always use that to demonstrate God's love to the people in our oikos who don't know Christ. We all have a certain amount of wealth, not all the same amount of wealth, but we all have something that we can invest in the kingdom work. We all have a certain amount of wisdom and insight that we can share with the people around us who don't know Christ. So he says, let this happen before other people. And I, that assumes proximity. In other words, if, if you go out tomorrow and you decide, I'm going to let my light shine, all right? There's a lot of people that aren't going to see it. There's people who live over in China and they're not going to see it. I know you're really bright, but you're not that bright. But here's who will see it. The people who live in your house, the people that you spend time with tomorrow, the people in your oikos, these people will see it. And so he's saying, don't let that be lost. Be sure to think about your oikos. It's the obvious place for your light to shine more than than anywhere else. And one of the reasons that we talk about this whole concept of showing God's love as a church is because we can do that even better as a group than we can individually. There are things that we can do together that none of us can do on our own. For instance, every weekend, we get to shine the light of Christ in a unique way in our worship services. Now, no one of us could do this on our own. It takes hundreds of people to make this happen every weekend. But when we all pool together, put our resources together, we can do something like this. Uh, We've got an event coming up called uh, the Run for the Hungry. Now, no individual in this church could do that and get hundreds of people to come on Thanksgiving morning to run and, and get all this food for people. But together, that's a way that we together can show God's love in a very unique way that we cannot do on our own. That's how we have our food pantry at church. That's how we have our our benevolence fund at church. And that's why we do a lot of things. What happens in Club W on Tuesday night? What happens in the youth group on Wednesday night? What happens uh, next door right now with kids church? All of these things are, are things that we have pooled our resources together to show people that God loves them. And he says, here's the reason we do it. We do it to bring glory to the Father. So we don't do it to, so that people will be impressed with us or that people will be impressed with our church. We do it so that they will be impressed with God, so that they'll see how great he is. And one of the things that the scriptures encourage us to do again and again and again is, yes, proclaim the gospel, but don't ever stop there. Show people why it's so great. Demonstrate it to them. And, I'm gonna, and, and I want to close with this idea, because I thought about this a lot over the last few weeks. If you're here when we talk about show, and you're thinking to yourself, have you ever had this thought, 
I wish I loved the non-Christians in my oikos the way that guy does. Or I wish I could really share Christ like, like she does. Or, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever felt like, I have some, some non-Christians around me and um, I just find them annoying. I don't really, I don't really, I find it hard to have compassion for them or to care about them. Or I'm just really kind of selfish and I don't really want to sacrifice for them. I want you to notice something that Jesus said, and I've been thinking a lot about this over the last few weeks as God's kind of put a picture in my mind. In Matthew 6, Jesus said this, and we've used this passage a lot. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. When he says don't store up treasure for yourself, Jesus is giving this example. We are all going to spend our life on something. We are all going to exchange our life for something. We're going to exchange our money for something, our time for something, our abilities for something. We're all going to spend our life on something. And and what are we going to get when it's all been spent, when it's all gone? Jesus says, don't spend yourself on things that will will rust and and break down and that that won't go before you to heaven. He goes on and he says, but this, but store it for yourself treasures in heaven. Right? That's a different way to do it. Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he says this, and this is huge. For where your treasure is, and then read that last phrase with me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Read that again. There your heart will be also. Now this is, this is huge. How do I store up treasure in heaven? All right. Can I like just make a direct deposit when I get my paycheck? Can I just like write out a certain amount of money and throw it in the fire or put it through the shredder? How do I do that? And Jesus is very clear. Here's how you, here's how you transfer your, the life that you have right now and you transfer it to heaven. Okay. You spend your life on the same things Jesus spent his life on. He spent his life. He invested his life in people. So you invest your life in people. You invest your money in people, just as Jesus did, right? Because when you think about it, people are the only thing you can spend money on that that you can spend eternity with. Nothing else that you spend money on is going to go with you. Your house isn't going to go. Your car isn't going to go. Thank God for that. But you know, there's a lot of things that aren't going to go with you. But people, hopefully, the people around you will go. And so you, you invest in that. And I love what he says, Where's your, where your treasure is, there is where your heart will be. So it's very simple. If you want to build a heart for the lost, start investing in your oikos, in people who don't know Christ. And this is really brought out to me recently. I'll just close with this. So a couple of years ago, um, I went out and bought a couple of, uh, of apple trees and planted them in my backyard because I thought it would be really cool to have apples. So I put the trees in, and um, last year was really their first full summer in there, and they didn't really produce much. And then this year, um, we went out, and we were kind of like, this could be the year, right? So my, my wife and I were pretty excited. We might get some apples this year. And so, uh, so when the spring came, um, first thing I did was I went out and I had read a, a book on how, to, on how to trim an apple tree. And so I went out and made sure the trees were trimmed just right. We just have a couple of them. And then um, I waited until they started budding, 
right? And then I sprayed them with, with the oil they're supposed to spray them with. And then I waited and they started budding. And when they would, when they blossomed, my wife and I, and I'm not making this, we would, making this up, we would go out every day and just like check out, are there any bees? And, you know, are they hanging around? Are they pollinating? Are they doing their thing? And we kind of watch for the bees. And, you know, I kind of go, and I saw a bee, I saw a bee. And, you know, and then I'd make sure a couple weeks later, I sprayed them again. And then, and then they, they pollinated and that was kind of exciting. And then um, we started to get little apples on the tree. And that was, we'd, you know, go in and I, my wife can probably tell you one day I went in and I, I, would, I actually had an official count. So here's how many apples we have on this tree and here's how many, pretty excited. And then when the, when the summer weather came, like I would, what, that second half of August, then um, we started, wa- I had put, hooked up a sprinkler system so I would turn on the water and make sure they had their water very faithfully, kept spraying them. And if there was an apple that was a little diseased, I'd take that off and was very careful about that. And then um, I think in, near the end of August, um, we, we, we were getting a nice crop of apples. It was, and we'd always go out and look them over. And we, I, I started to think we have so many apples, we should probably start picking them now. Like if we had a couple of days, we could start picking them now and have enough to last through October. And so um, we were picking them a little bit early, but I remember like it, it, we took the first apple, brought it in the house, my wife and I, we washed it all off like almost ceremonially and we, we cut the apple and we made all the kids have a slice of it. And I remember eating that, that slice of apple and going, this is the best apple I've ever eaten in my entire life. And then the next day we had another one and I was like, actually, this is the best apple I've ever had in my entire life. And this went on and on and on. And um, we still have apples. This is, so this is like what we've gotten off the tree. Now here's what I can tell you. Okay, I know, I know, right? Is that not the best looking apple you've ever seen? So every apple, and I'm betting that this apple is better than the one we had today. I'm just guessing. Now, are these really the best apples we've ever had? Well, maybe, but probably not. But here's why they taste so good to us. Because we have invested a part of ourselves and a part of our water bill into these apples. We've invested ourselves and our heart just tends to go where we spend our lives. And Jesus is just saying, if you want to have a heart for the people in your oikos who don't know Christ, it's not rocket science. It's not even gifting. Any of us can have it. Just start spending yourself there and you will. You'll think they're this beautiful, and more, right? Because you are investing yourself. And when you do that, Jesus will begin to give you more and more of his heart. And you'll begin to see them the way that he sees them. And you'll begin to love them and have compassion on them the way that he loves them and has compassion on them. Because our heart, our heart always follows where we invest ourselves. Know, grow, and show. See, I cannot reach your oikos for you Our staff cannot reach your oikos for you. Only you can do that. But here's what I want you to know. We are absolutely dedicated to supporting you, to changing your world for Christ. Let's pray together.